teenager. I want to just be real with you. I wasn't all that anyway. I was away from my church. I was away from my family. And I fell into the deepest, darkest depression that I could describe to you. If you were to dig a hole into the darkest places you could find and, and then go a little bit deeper so that there's only darkness, I was a little lower than that. And I was broken. And I felt like I would bleed to death from my heart. I couldn't imagine a time when life would be good. I couldn't imagine there being brightness and goodness in my life. And I came to the Lord, and, and, and he set me free. And I remember that as a baby Christian, uh, maybe a month or two into the walk, I was going down the road, uh, me and my husband in a car, and we were driving down the road, and I felt that darkness sliding back up over me. I felt it coming like someone was pulling a blanket over my head from behind, and that darkness was dragging me down. And my thought was, oh, no, not again, not again. I've been in this hole far too long, not again. And probably the first time I can ever say I heard the Lord, he said, is that me? And I was like, well, well, no, Lord, you wouldn't do that. He said, is it you? And I looked again and thought, oh, that isn't even me. He said, well, why don't you just praise me then? And I only knew one song, Amazing Grace, and I only knew one, one, one verse of it. <laughs> and I sang that until I didn't have a voice left. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once was blind, but now I see. And I sang that song until I didn't have any breath left in me. And I lifted up the name of Jesus. And can I tell you, I've never been in a dark hole since. I've had a bad day. I've had a bad season. I've faced challenges. But I have never in my life been hopeless again. Because I walk with that name above all name because I've got a name that when I speak it devils have to leave I, depression can't hold on when the name of Jesus comes into view and I didn't know what I was doing I didn't have any uh, any understanding of uh, of the theology of what I was doing but as I was praising God with the only words I knew amazing grace the only thing I knew I was praising God and he was sitting down and you know what the Bible tells me that that if, I, if we lift up our praises, we enthrone him. He sits down in the praises of his people. God comes and sits with us if we'll just lift him up, no matter what's going on. And I have to tell you, folks, it's good to step in here on a Wednesday night and breathe the atmosphere of heaven a little bit. Do you know that's what it sounds like up there? It sounds like a worship song going on. You know, I, I, I uh, find it far too easy to uh, get down in the dirt of my life and face the challenges of my life and the busyness of my days and forget that there's a song. To forget that there's a, a, a song that's on repeat in heaven right now. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Day and night, the, the burning ones, the cherubim sing holy, holy, holy. I can get in uh, uh, what a pastor I used to have uh, called get, up, get in and, uh, the hump up and take it mode. And, and you know what I'm talking about. Out on the playground and there was this bully and he was coming for you when you were in the corner and you weren't getting away from the bully this time. But if you could hump up, if you could give him a smaller surface to attack, if you could just get down and, and protect yourself a little bit and let him do what he's going to do, he'd go on and the day could go on. Hump up and take it mode. Do you know the Lord never told you to hump up and take it when the devil comes at you? You know what? The devil might be a bully, but my God's big. My God is big. He's sovereign. That means all the power belongs to him. He's large and in charge. Solomon, when he built the temple, said, the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house I've built. That's a big God. That's a big God. Uh, and if, if what I feel in my day, and, and let me tell you, this was the day for it. If what I feel in my day is different than that, 
I am not what I feel. I am what I faith. I am what I know from the word of God. You see, I, I asked for today off to pray. So they said, well, we can't do that. And we're going to need you to stay half an hour late. <laughs> but praise God. Praise God he's with me. Church, there's a devil loose in the world. And there's nothing more that he would like than for the redeemed to forget their song. Uh, to go ahead and give up the battle before it's even started. You see, I, I can defeat myself with just my mouth. I can talk myself out of my blessing. And if I'll do that, the devil doesn't have to work very hard to get me down. I can do it myself. Uh, we are no threat to the kingdom of darkness if we're agreeing with it, folks. When things go wrong and they say, oh, but there's a monitor we need you to apply before you leave. Oh, there's one more patient we see out there in the, in the waiting room. When things are going the wrong way, I don't need to vent. I don't need to tell somebody about how bad something is. I don't need you to listen to me and feel sorry for me. What I need is to come into the house of God and start lifting up the name of Jesus and let him bring that victory back in my life. And I'm not talking fake it till you make it. I'm talking about letting your faith be bigger than your fear. A hard season doesn't mean that God's not good. Uh, I, I, sometimes I just need to hide myself in a prayer closet and gaze on the glory of God for a little bit when things aren't going my way. You know, in, in Mark chapter 9 is where I'm studying in my Bible right now. It's, 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 it's tasting good, I have to tell you. But in Mark chapter 9, the, the, Jesus takes Peter and James and John, and all the other disciples stay at the bottom of the mountain, but they go to the top of the mountain with Jesus. And while they're at the top of the mountain, Jesus is transfigured in their presence. And they look at him, and they, it, the Bible says that his robes, his clothes became so bright and glistening like no earthly launderer could make it. He is resplendent in glory. He is magnificent on top of the mountain. And, and they're sitting there, and that's what heaven saw the whole time. Heaven looking down at Jesus walking on the earth is seeing the glory of God walking in the dirt. He's, they're seeing the, uh, the, the glory of God strolling across the waves to, to get across the Sea of Galilee. They're seeing Jesus in his glory already. But now Peter and James and John get a little glimpse and they see Jesus as he really is in the glory. And sometimes I need to go away by myself because I can't stay at the foot of the mountain. I can't stay in my busyness. Sometimes we equate busyness with productivity. We, we equate that with success. But I can't stay in the busy place. Sometimes I've got to go up the mountain. Sometimes I've got to get up alone with Jesus. I've got to get alone to see him as he is in his glory. So if uh, things are dark, or if it's just dark in my corner, I have to make the choice. I have to make the choice of what sound will come out of my life. Is it going to be a dissonance of woe is me that hurts the ears of God? Is it going to be silence and don't you know that's the devil's plan is to shut you down and shut you up? Is it going to be the silence? Because that silence between me and God becomes deafening on my end. Or I'm going to go into the... the the church on a Wednesday night and start singing about the name that's above every name? Am I going to start lifting up a praise anyway? I have to decide the sound that will come out of my life. And, and, and it's my privilege to open up the word of God tonight, and that's not really where we're going at all. Uh, I'm going to open the word up with you tonight and tell you what I feel like the Lord's been saying in my prayer closet. And... Uh, the, uh, this word's been sitting on my table for about a month because my son brought COVID home. And first he got sick, and that rolled through. And then the next kid got sick, and that rolled through. And then I got sick, and that rolled through. But no matter what, this is, I feel like this is a word that the Lord burns in me. And every time I pick up my Bible and turn open to Second Kings, uh, there it is, and it's staring at me. I believe this is a word that the Lord has for us tonight. We're going to look at a very familiar account of scripture, one that we have even visited 
fairly recently in here. Uh, but hang with me because I'm going to go somewhere with it. If you have your Bible with you, I'm in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. And, and let me set the stage for you here. This account takes place about 500 years after King David sits on the throne of Israel. And at this point in, in the history of Israel, it has been split into two nations. The southern kingdom, which stayed with the house of David and had many good kings. And then the northern kingdom, which was all the rest besides Benjamin. There's all the other tribes of, of Israel. The northern kingdom with the capital in Samaria. And just as David's lineage and David's legacy brought blessing into that southern kingdom the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel the first king Jeroboam said if the people go down to Jerusalem to worship God they may leave me they may not stick with me. I better do something about that. So he said, you want, you want to have a place to worship? I'll make an altar. You want to bring sacrifices to priests? Okay, I'll, I'll make you some priests. I've got some guys over here, and, and, and I know they look like fishermen and, and guards, and they, they look like tax collectors, and, and, and they look like the garden variety, uh, whatever job they were doing. He said, Don't th doesn't he look like a priest? Wouldn't he look good in that priest clothing? Let's get him in here. I like him. And they set up a copycat religion full of feasts and offerings and special days just like they had when they were going to Jerusalem. But instead of the living God, they brought it to a golden calf. They brought it to a golden calf. And Jeroboam traded the glory of God and the presence of God with him for a little bit of earthly security and a golden cow. And it is into that kind of atmosphere that this account has happened. The land of promise where Israel is supposed to live in peace and eat the good of the land has become a place they had to fight to keep. It's come a place where when they're out in the field uh, planting their crops, they got to look over their shoulder because the Syrians may be coming to take away some captives. Uh, it could be the Moabites. It could be the Philistines. It could be the Egyptians when that crowd of people were kicking up dust. Or maybe it was those Assyrians, those ones who were coming to overthrow the kingdom. In that period of national turmoil, we read 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, accepted and acceptable, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out in bands, and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And we're going to stop right there and camp out and just look at what we just read. Naaman was the Syrian commander. He had a career in the military, and he excelled at it. He climbed the ladder of success with his own bare hands. He's the man's man. He, he, the, the Bible says he was a great man with his master. He had the favor of the king, and the king held his opinion in high esteem. The people who counted liked Naaman. He was accepted, and he was acceptable, and that's an amazing thing to be said of a leper. There was a place for him in the throne room. And even though he was not part of the covenant people of Israel, God himself caused Naaman to have success in the military battles they faced. And do you know it doesn't hurt to have God on your side? That, 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 that's a good thing when God's on your side. His character, he was the mighty man of valor. He was brave and strong and wealthy and valiant. But he was a leper. 
and now we know that leprosy just calls back bacteria and an antibiotic will fix that. But they didn't have an antibiotic. There was no CVS on the corner. Uh, leprosy was a bad deal. People stayed away from the lepers. In, Le in Naaman's day, there was no, no medical science to prove what we know now. Leprosy was a disease with no cure and with no hope. Leprosy attacked nerve endings and left the leper numb, unable to feel. And they would begin to get wounds on their hands and on their feet, and because they couldn't feel it, it would be infected, and they would start losing the digits. It would become necrotic and fall off. The, most, uh, the person it was most contagious to was the person who spent most time with the leper. If you're breathing the leper's air and you're in the leper's atmosphere all, uh, hour after hour in close contact, that is who is most likely to be infected. So no matter how good of a soldier Naaman is and no matter how much of a threat he is to Syria's enemies, he is the greatest threat to his wife and children. His house is w where the greatest threat is. So you see who Naaman, who Naaman really is. He is trying to prove his value. He's trying desperately to compensate for that one weakness he couldn't get rid of. He could walk out of battle, battles with military honors. He could have medals of courage. He could have a, 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 a statue in the park with his name on it. Uh, he could stand with the mighty men and say, look at me. But at the end of the day, when he went home and looked in that mirror up hanging behind the door... There was a leper. There's a leper. And he knows that he's threatening his family by being there. And you know, if we read to the end of this chapter, if we were to go ahead and read all those verses, it's a story about faith. It's a story about obedience. It's a story about the power of God to do the impossible. But that's not where Naaman is. He hasn't read this chapter yet. Naaman is in his struggle Naaman is trying to measure up. Naaman is trying to get ahead of the leprosy, and he can't outrun it. Naaman is trying to compensate for weakness. He's a hero, but when he steps out, people step back because they don't really want any leprosy. And when he goes home at night, he is afraid of what he's taken home. But faith is about to change it all. Faith is about to change everything. Let's read verse 2 again. The Syrians had gone out in bands and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And, and, and you, we don't know this little girl's name, but the faith in the story belongs to the little girl. The little girl is the one with the faith. And if you could imagine this, uh, we don't know anything about her. We just know that she's a casualty of a nation that turned from God. She's a casualty of a king who wouldn't worship the right way. And she's in an unfair situation. It's not where she wants to be. She's not at home with mom and dad. She doesn't have, she's not planning her wedding and planning what her family are, are, is going to have. She isn't in her, the place she wants to be. She's a captive. She is not free, and it's not fair. It's not comfortable. But her faith is not offended. She goes into the study, if you can imagine it, and there's Mrs. Naaman, and she's sitting in her chair by the fire. I know we don't want a fire tonight, but, but she's sitting in the chair by the fire and she brings in the kettle of tea would you like some tea my lady and she pours her tea and she looks at the empty chair where the man of the house should be sitting then she she comes back in again and this time she's got the scones would you like a scone i don't know if they have scones in syria but would you like a scone with your tea my lady a and she she looks at that chair and she shakes her head and maybe she goes back out again and says, oh, would you like it? Would you like it? Maybe a marshmallow. Do you put marshmallow in your tea? I don't know. Would you like some boba to go in your tea? And she goes comes back in and she looks at that chair and she shakes her head and she says, oh, 
If only my master was in Samaria with that prophet. She had every reason to walk in there and say, woe is me, I'm a captive. She had every reason in the world to be offended and mad at God. Why did you let it happen, God? But instead she says, oh, I know this God. I know this God, and I'm just sure that he can take care of this. Her faith is unoffended. And her faith is outrageous. It is outrageous faith. It's unqualified. You know what? She doesn't have any evidence that God will heal Naaman. She doesn't have any evidence that God will heal leprosy at all. But she looks at, him, at, at, at Mrs. Naaman and says, Oh, God will heal him if he'll go. If he'll go to the meeting, God will heal him. If he'll lift his hands, God will heal him. If he'll do what God says to do, God will heal him. It was, her faith was outrageous. It was unqualified. It was unobstructed. You know what? She didn't say, well, I've got a copy of the law of Moses right here, and let me turn it around here and see if I can find where God will heal a stranger of Israel. Um, I'm not sure God will do that. She didn't have God set in a box where he had to follow her rules. She just said, oh, there's this guy in Samaria who has, his, has the heart of God. God listens to his voice. And, oh, if only my master were with the, the prophet of Samarita, Samaria. And her faith was unsolicited. Nobody asked, do you know what we can do about this? She walks in with her scones and says, oh, I know something you don't know. I know something. And, and uh, she, she starts talking faith into the atmosphere that is hopeless. She starts speaking faith where there shouldn't be any faith. And, and, when, and when Naaman comes home that evening, Mrs. Naaman's at the door. You will never believe what that little girl said today. And she told him, oh, if only my master were with the prophet in Samaria, God would surely heal him. And Naaman laughed. Yeah, that's cute. She's a cute kid. I'm glad we got her. Then he, he went to bed and he said, huh, well, I wish I was in Samaria. I'd go find that guy. And then, he, then he fell asleep and he dreamed of going down the road to Samaria. The next morning he gets up and he goes to work, but all he's thinking about is, how far is Samaria from here? It's a very, very far. And he, he, that starts burning in his heart. That little ember of faith from that little girl starts burning in his heart and, until it comes strong enough that he goes to the king and says, send me. I've got to go find out. Send me to Samaria. This little girl is the instigator of Naaman's faith. She's an instigator. And, and if I were to ask you in here, do you know any instigators? If you've ever had children or been a child, chances are you know somebody who's an instigator. When I was growing up in the midst of sisters and cousins and uh, the wild hills of Kentucky, we had lots of adventures. My mother would have called it getting into mischief. But we called them adventures. And you see, she knew who the instigator was. My sister got in a lot more trouble than I did. <laughs> we knew who the instigator was. And the instigator, an instigator according to the dictionary, is a person who provokes or incites another to a particular course of action, uh, a particular action or course. And, and you know, we, we've seen that in a very negative sense lately. There are people who are instigating uh, my son took me up to Athens over the weekend because he wanted to show me some stuff, and we were going down through by the courthouse, and there were people with signs on the courthouse, and, and uh, they were instigating some, some stuff. And, and Cody said, Mommy, I can't take you to these shops I want to take you to because I can't let you around these people. And I'm like, well, Cody, uh, they're not going to hurt me. He says, oh, I'm not worried about them, <laughs> them hurting you. He said, I can't take you there, Mommy. And I'm like, well, Cody, I just want to tell them about Jesus and how much he loves them. And he's like, no, Mommy, we're going on. We're going on. The instigator in this story is this little girl. She instigates faith into the heart of Naaman. She provoked him to move closer to God, seeking for a miracle. 
And, and I want to be real with you because I want to be an instigator of faith, but sometimes I'm just made of dirt and I live in the dirt. And my day-to-day run of the dirt sometimes keeps me a little blinded to everything of the glory of God I want to see. And sometimes it's coming in here on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. And sometimes it's going to a prayer tent in the hot sun with some prayer warriors on a flea market weekend. And sometimes, and more often than not, it is me getting alone in my prayer closet and putting my face on the ground and saying, Oh God, my fire is getting a little tired today, but I know that you are the consuming fire and you still breathe on your disciples. And when I get in that place, he starts breathing. He starts breathing faith back into me. And I want to tell you, Jesus still breathes on his disciples. And we still receive the Holy Spirit's power when he does. Can I tell you what Holy Spirit's been breathing in my prayer closet? He's been breathing these words that my God is bigger than I can fathom. That my God is a God of hope. I don't have to be hopeless because I serve a God of hope. My God is a present tense God. My God does new things and he does now things. My God can do anything. And can I instigate a little faith in you tonight? God's big. When I'm weak and small, I can be reassured he never is. What I cannot do, what I cannot change, he has no problem taking care of. Jeremiah 32, 27, God says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard? For me, I can, I can uh, assure you that even though the, the, the answer seems really obvious, I've tried him. I brought in some doozies. I brought in some problems I just didn't know what to do with. And I didn't even know who to ask about except him. And you know what I found out? He is the Lord, the God of all flesh, and there's nothing too difficult for him. The God who spins worlds into orbit and sparks distant suns into blazing glory has no problem with my dirt problems. He can take care of them all. Psalms 147 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, curing their pains and their sorrows. He determines and counts the number of the stars and calls them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is inexhaustible and boundless. The Lord lifts up the humble and downtrodden and casts the wicked down to the ground. Our God is a big God and our God is a good God and God can take care of what we're facing. He's a God of hope. Romans 15, 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You can have joy and peace and with overflowing hope in the darkest places you can ever be. In the midst of grief, he's my hope. In the midst of sorrow, he's my hope. Uh, When the money runs out before the month does, he's my hope. Uh, When I don't know what to do next, he's my hope. I have a God who is a God of hope. This world says I hope, and they, they mean I wish. I hope my team wins. I hope. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there, Micah. <laughs> I, 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 hope, I hope it doesn't rain this weekend. I want to go on a picnic. They're wishing. But hope, biblical hope, is the Greek word, elpis. And it means a confident, positive expectation of good. Hope is founded on the knowledge of who God is. You can expect good things from a good God for that reason. He's a good God. You can expect that he's going to take care of you because he says he will. We can sing, we sing a song in here sometimes that says, he's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. And if the story isn't over, the story, if the story isn't good, the story isn't over. If the story, if the story isn't good yet, just hang on. You haven't hit the climax of the story yet. God's still in control. He's still taking care of it. You can have hope because God is strong. Isaiah 40, verses 28 and 29 says, Have you not known, have you not heard? 
the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not faint or grow weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint and the weary, and to him who has no might, he increases strength, causing it to multiply and making it to abound. You can hope because God has given you his word. And if he's given you his word, he's giving you his promise. If you find it in here, and God did it for somebody else, he's going to do it for you. He will do it for you. God is going to, the one who kept Noah floating in a, in, in, on the waves, you know he's going to float us in our storms. God's the one who breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living soul. He's going to breathe revival into us when we ask. uh, God is going to take care of us. We've got his word. And and you know what? The one I like is the same spirit that raised Jesus will quicken our mortal bodies. Hallelujah. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And when is God going to fill you with hope? Now. Now. How about now for an answer? Will now work? I, I, sometimes, sometimes I get in this place where I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And God says, well, how about now? Do you want it now? God is God in my present. David said in Psalms 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I don't go through trials and heartaches by myself. I've got somebody with me. You see, when, when Moses was struggling with Egypt, his qualification was God is with me. Uh, when when uh, 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 Joshua's standing at the edge of Canaan and he sees all the armies arrayed against him in the land, his the empowerment to go on in and conquer the land is God's with me. When Gideon is uh, looking at the Midianites saying, oh, I, I'm just a little old Gideon, I can't do anything, God says, I'm going to be with you. That's the, that's the difference. Uh, when, when God's with David, he gets to bring down giants. Uh, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God is a present tense God. Not waiting for a far off distant day before he moves in our half or blesses us. You know, I think we saw that this, uh, this, uh, this last couple weeks. How uh, we, the church has been praying for 50 years. God, there's a, there, there's, a, there's a word of death over our land. There's a, there's a proclamation of death and, and, and people not caring about what you're saying. And for 50 years, the church has been praying. But God says, well, how about now? Will now work for you? How about now? God is a God of now. Jesus sat on a mountain and he preached that if God is going to feed sparrows, he's going to take care of you in your now. You know, those sparrows don't have, you know, 10 years and then a retirement account coming up. they got to trust God now. You can trust God now. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is the God of my now, and he's the God of my new. Uh, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says, Remember you not the former things, neither consider the things of whole. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now when I look into my future, all I can do is look at my past and see what happened back there and extrapolate what I think will happen coming up. I don't, ha- I don't have anything higher than that to look at. But it is an insult to think that God has to use my past as a blueprint for my future. God isn't about to leave me in my messes in the yesterday and here's just a little bit more of what you've been walking through and it's been hard but here's some more hard stuff. It's all I've got in the bank. It's all I've got for a blueprint. No. God's going to do new things. He's going to make rivers in the desert. He's going to make sure we have what we need. God is boundless. He is good. He has endless mercy and limitless power and unfailing love. God doesn't have to use my past as a blueprint for my future. And he doesn't have to follow the rules I think govern the, govern, uh, uh, the world. You know, uh, I think the world has been, our society, especially in America, has been primed for the supernatural. They've been primed for something that's outside what we can see and outside what we expect to follow those laws of nature. 
supernatural. Well, I don't serve a supernatural God. I serve a supernatural God. He is over and above all that he has created. You know, every time that Jesus surprised those disciples, he was just being supernatural over and above creation. He could walk on water because he made the stuff. Because it says that God walks on the waves of the sea. Of course he can walk on them. Of course he can raise the dead. He's got the, the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Of course that tomb's going to be empty. Who's going to hold God in the ground? Jesus is bigger than, than we, we hope for, and he is supernatural. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now to him who by the action of his power at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly far over and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. God can and will do new things things you don't know about a God who cannot surprise you is too small to be the God of this word if he fits in your box he's too little we have a big God our God is a God of hope he is a God who is present with us in our now and he does new things and he does them immediately that's what Holy Spirit has been breathing into my prayer closet and, and, and he, that's how he has been provoking my faith. Have I provoked some in you? Did Noah? I don't know if you noticed. I was checking my, 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 my pages last night thinking, did he get my scriptures? <laughs> it was, it, the, it's the same thing. It's the same thing in a different message. God saying, look at me. Won't you spend some time looking at me and seeing who I am? Um. We started, I'm, I'm going to wind this thing up tonight. Uh, we started with Naaman, that man trying to prove himself, and a little girl who provoked faith in him. And here's the rest of the story. Naaman goes to that king who loads him up on the word of a little girl, loads, loads him up with about $2 million worth of wealth, wealthy goods, and he sends him to the king of Israel, the king of God's people, uh, the king who had the reputation that God works for you. And he goes to that king, and that king rips his clothes and says, well, I can't help a leper. What can I do? I can't help. And uh, that prophet in Samaria hears about it. And Elisha says, why don't you rip your clothes? Send him on over. I'll show him where, who, where God is. And here comes Naaman with his caravan and all I can think of is the picture from Aladdin where the, he's walking into the city and he's got the golden monkeys, you know. He's got all the goods, he's got all the stuff. Uh, my kids were Aladdin kids. And, and they, he goes to the prophet's house and all this pomp and all this parade, and he gets there, and he does not impress Elisha at all. Elisha sends a servant out and says, tell him to go wash. Go wash in the, the Jordan River seven times, and then he'll be healed. And Naaman gets so mad. He gets so mad because he spent his whole life earning his way. He spent his whole life proving how big he was and how strong he was and how deserving he was. And he's mad. He says, huh, I thought that prophet would walk out here and speak the name of his God and wave his hand at the leper and, and I'd be healed. Why don't I just go home? My rivers are better than this muddy old river Jordan. But the one thing he did was as he, he's in his huff and he's going to leave, he starts listening to a servant again. And the servant says, Father, if the prophet had said to do something really hard, wouldn't you have tried? And he said, well, yeah. Well, didn't he just say go wash and be clean? Why don't, why don't you give this a try? And here goes Naaman into the water, slopping out in that muddy, muddy river. And he looks around, and his servant's on the shore. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. Down he goes one time, and he's still mad, and now he's wet and mad. <laughs> and, and he does it again. And now he's wet, and he feels foolish. Third time, down. 
and he's wet and he's got some little bit of mud in his hair this time and and he's saying I don't know about this and the fourth time and he's committed the fifth time he goes down and he comes up and he's got a little smile on his face and the sixth time he he goes down and he's like okay here we go and the seventh time he dips himself down in the water and as he dips himself down in the water he comes up shouting because he's got skin on his hands that didn't have skin before he is healed because of the power of God and uh, this is the message that I've brought to you tonight, church. We are living in a time and a culture that is uncomfortable for us. You know, I actually saw on, on Facebook uh, one of my friends I'd worked with years ago uh, so, uh, the, the night that the, uh, the, the Roe versus Wade was reversed said, why don't you go see who's celebrating on your, on your timeline and go ahead and unfriend them. Well, let's weed those people out. And I, I, I topped in. It's me. <laughs> I'm over here. I'm over here celebrating. And the Holy Spirit said, you, you may want to back that back out. Let's not. Let's, let's not do that. So, so we're in a time that is uncomfortable for us. It can make us ache for our heavenly home. We just want to be with Jesus. We just want to be in heaven and love on Jesus and, and go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm, have, I'm at the chocolate table. That's where my name card is. I've got the fountain. I'm over there with the fountain. But there are people all around us trying to prove themselves. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to get ahead. They need their life to have some kind of relevance. But the problem is that no matter what they accomplish, if it's a good thing or a bad thing, at the end of the day, they go home at night and they look in the mirror and they say, there I am. It's still just me. Uh, you know what? I may have success in my career, but I know I'm just me. Uh, and there are people out there, and they're doing all kinds of things, trying to make life better. Some of it they find it in a bottle or in a syringe, and they're trying to make life good or better or relevant or something. They're trying to do something, but their weakness is capping their life, and they'll never get any farther along than they are right now. They're trying to make it just like Naaman did. And the sad thing is that some of them have already gone to the church. And they found ministries just like the king of Israel that were sinker sensitive. And they had all the perks. And they had a powerless gospel with a lip-wristed Jesus that could not set them free from their sin. They've, they've, they've been places where God should have been. But they didn't know his power there. And they're looking. And, and they hear the sound of the gospel and they say, Isn't my way just as good? There's many ways to God. I don't think so. I don't think so. Isn't my way as good as your way? Why is your opinion more important than mine? Aren't the rivers of Syria just as good as the Jordan? They just, they're just trying to get out of the mess they're in. And God is looking for some instigators. He's looking for some people that will start getting in their prayer closets and putting their eyes on God. They get in the word and start believing what they find there so he can send them out to those people to instigate faith. God is looking for someone who will let Holy Spirit stir up God dreams. You know what? I know it's God when, when it's too big for me. If it's something I can do for myself, it's just me. But if it's something too big for me, then God's in it. God is calling us, me and you, into intimate relationship. And you're not going to get it on the run. You're not going to get it in your busyness. I, I always like to be, I, I, I'll just be honest with you, I love the pulpit and I love the pew. I love the church stuff. I love the music. I love the praying. I love it all. I've been in love with the church a long time. I love it all. But I can't put my hands on everything and be effective. Uh, 
I, I can't make everything my focus. I have to decide, God, you're going to be my focus. And, and whatever I can do, here I am. But I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to do it your way. I don't know about you, but I want it. I want to be an instigator for God in these days to stir up outrageous faith in a culture that's lost their mind. But to do it, you need to know some things. If you're going to if you're going to take that on, if you're going to say, "Let it be me, God. I want to be an instigator." There's some things you ought to know. There's a little bit of a price to it. You have to have some steel in your backbone. Cuz there's going to be people who do not take it into their heart. And, and, and eat that word and, and, and stew on it until they step out in faith. And they might just be mean to you. They might say things that hurt your feelings. And there are other countries in the world uh, that, that it costs people their lives to serve the Lord. You know, uh, we, I feel persecuted when somebody says something mean to me on Facebook. <laughs> That's not real persecution. But uh, there's a price to that. You may not be accepted by everyone. You're going to have to lay on your pride. You can't hold on to your dignity while you're talking about the miracles of God to people. Uh, You know, our dignity likes us to be the main character in our story. Uh, Look what I did. Look how big I am. Look how strong I am. God has to be the main character of your story. You have to be willing to lay down your reputation for his. That little girl spoke faith in the name, and she was in a hard place. She didn't have a platform. She didn't have a mic. She didn't have a trendy worship team singing terrific songs like ours does. She was in a place she didn't want to be. She, we, don't know, we don't know what happened to her. I like to think that Naaman went home and said, You know what? I'm going to set you up for life, girl. I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to give you everything you want. If you want to go home, go on home. We don't know. She may have stayed a captive the rest of her life, but it was enough for her to be the instigator of faith. That was what put her in the Bible. If you want to sign up for it, if you want to be the instigator, God will take you at your word. But you're going to have to speak some faith in dark times as well as in light times, even when it's not fair and even in the circumstances you wouldn't choose. The word of the Lord for Rodney Pike tonight is this. It is a season of outrageous faith. It is a season to believe God to do mighty things. It is a season to believe the God that can turn the hearts of the justices, can turn the hearts of the president. It's a time to believe God for the out, in outrageous faith. He's calling us to believe him to do outrageous things, new things, now things. And the reason is that his heart is yearning. Because he wants Naaman. Because Jesus is after the addict. He's after the broken and the dirty. Music team, if you want to come back up. Um, church, I want to just um, invite you to stand up tonight. And, and, and uh, just let's get real with God tonight. If, if there's anybody in here who needs a relationship with the Lord, I, I think I know most of you. If you need a relationship with the Lord and you don't know him yet, I'd, I'd love to introduce you. Uh, uh, you just come come talk to me. I, I'll, I can tell you about my Jesus. But what I want to ask you to do is if you feel like you're in a place where your fire is tired, where, hey, you just need a little pick-me-up, you just need to worship God tonight. I want to invite you to come up here and worship. Sit at your seat and stand at your seat and worship. Just worship. If you want to be the instigator, if you want to be the one that brings the fire in the room, if you want to be the one who is stirring up the faith at work, at school, at uh, in the grocery store, you know you can pray for people at Walmart, right? You need to do that. If you want to be the instigator of faith, I want to invite you just to, to seek the Lord tonight. Come up and, and pray and just worship Him. I count on one thing the same God who never fails will not fail me. Won't fail me now in the way 
God who's never late is working all things out. It's working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. And I choose to praise, to glorify and glorify the name of Nothing can stand again, and I choose to praise, to glorify and glorify the name of all names, that nothing can stand again. Oh yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley, yes I will bless you. I believe there's some folks in the house who's willing to say, I'm going to take the dip. I'm going to take the plunge. Because the Word of God has gone forth. The Word of God has been declared. It may mean I've got to get my hair wet. It may mean I have to get kind of messy. It may put me in a humble state, but I believe at that time of completion, I'm going to rise up out of that river. And with what the enemy thought he was going to destroy me with, God's going to reveal himself greatly to me through that affliction. Can I ask you a question tonight? Are you ready to take the dip? Are you ready to take the plunge and go down to the river? Are you ready to get yourself in the places that come off kind of humbly, but there's going to come a time you're going to rise up, and what was attacking you isn't going to be on you anymore. Hallelujah. It's not going to be on you anymore. Praise God. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we believe that. Thank you for the truth and the power of your word. Thank you, God, for the messenger this evening. We pray.